Hello and welcome to another uh, episode of the Passel CMO Series podcast. My name's Willie. You've heard my dulcet tones a number of times. And today I am very excited to welcome, I've been trying to get him on for for quite a while, but he's got a few things on his plate, Will Brewster, who's Head of Communications at, at Clive & Co. We are going to be talking about the journey of law firm mergers and how that sort of looks through a communications lens, both internally and externally. No disguise at the moment that the A and I were doing something with Shearman and Sterling, shock horror. Um, but, but really, it's getting that sort of balance right between the client-centric narratives, the internal messaging, there's brand management in there. It's a real fine art. And I'm I am really excited for Will to sort of give us his experiences uh, on that. Well, welcome, Will. Thanks, Will. Nice to be here. And thank you for the introduction. No probs. On to the business stuff. We're going to get straight into the merger, really. And I, I've written down it took place July 2022. But I suppose there were a whole bunch of things that happened before that, which leads me on to the first question. At what point were you sort of brought into the whole merger piece with BLM? And, and can you tell us, you know, about that first, the first stage and what, what the process from a comms perspective looked like. Yeah, and this is really important. I was brought in fairly early, uh, as soon as the discussions got crystallised. Um, that is really important. And to do comms well, you need to be in the room, you need to be uh, understanding what's going on and what the drivers of it, anything are. So advice to any comms person is get yourself in the room, basically. You know, these conversations obviously go on in various guises over a long period. And, and it's really at that point where it starts to become possible and even probable that you have to start kicking in with planning. And so everyone realised there was a high probability or chance of, of of a leak. And even if there wasn't a leak, that we'd need to go to, to the market fairly quickly with news of, of the proposal um, for the sake of our clients, really, if nothing else, because um, we didn't want any suggestion of, you know, any rumour to, to uh, distract from the client work they were relying on us to do uh so so there was a lot of preparation a lot a lot of uh agreeing of messaging and agreeing of the narrative uh that lay behind the merger in all honesty in, in this one it was really that wasn't that difficult because the, the merger made so much sense and um, so we were really quite quickly able to agree lines to take on why we were doing this and what the benefits would be for the firm for people within it and the clients and that's not to say there, there weren't challenges or knotty issues there but actually, it's ultimately, you know, if it's a good deal, it's a good deal and you can communicate it as that. It'd be a lot harder if it was a sort of an odd fit to try and make that make sense to the market. But we were, you know, I was lucky that, that it made sense. The other thing I think that was really pleasing was the the attitude of everybody. Everybody came into a really open attitude and really wanted to work together to make it work. Um, there weren't blockers and there weren't people trying to sort of um, make life difficult. And that was really important and so i think i think that's uh that was key to the success was a really you know a willingness to make it work and to um to work through any issues with positivity at an early stage you make it sound plain sailing will everyone's going to take on a merger now um, yeah but i suppose your point there is that you know the the, the due diligence was done and it, it was a good fit i think sometimes we do see in the market you know are are these mergers taking place the right fit? And and obviously the proof's in the pudding. You're 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 reporting now that you know there's a 22 percent increase in revenue, which it sounds like in the first instance it's it's worked. You make it sound easy, but there was a lot to manage on this. If we're being honest, so what what were the main challenges that you that you found? Yeah, I mean you're right. There was a lot to work through, and and I think you you still start to forget that we we had to we had to get a lot of things ready before news got out into the market. 
and we were largely able to do that and we then had to really move at speed to communicate to the various parties so we had various um, groups to talk to we had our partnerships at both firms which um, who were required to vote the merger through so there was a sort of uh, almost an election campaign where we provided a lot of detail to the partnerships and had a lot of conversations. So, so there was a lot of work to be done there. Uh, we had to speak to uh, all of our colleagues across the firm, the two firms, and that's where, you know, there was probably most sensitivity because people weren't sure what it might mean. Um, and and like any change like this, you know, there are going to be changes. There's going to be um, sensitive issues to talk through. So we can't, we couldn't go out and just say, don't worry, everyone, everything's going to be fine. So there was... There was a lot of a need for sensitivity and um, and having to work very closely with HR teams and operations teams on on that. And then we had to create client materials as well. And so we we worked uh, hard with our marketing team on a on a prospectus for clients to make sure that they were brought in early. So so I think the key to making that work was to rely on colleagues and to pull colleagues in and and have a clear structure. Often with these things, because they're such a big deal, it really energizes people and you get get the very best out of people. And that did happen in this case. And again, I'm not suggesting it was easy, but where there's a big project, you know, it's clear what everyone needs to do and that everyone needs to dedicate some time to it. I suppose the challenge is making sure the day job doesn't suffer. And probably being pretty open about what might need to stand by while we focus on this and what, what actually can't carry on and being realistic about that. We kept going with most day, day-to-day things, but there were probably some things we did have to put hit the pause button on. And I think it's probably, it's probably better to be honest about that early on and accept that you can't do everything. But ultimately the teamwork made it, made it happen. And, and thankfully in this case, the teams got on, the teams at the relative, uh, at the two firms got on well. And managed to create a, re- a really good relationship early on, uh, and that would be that would be kind of a piece of advice I would I would give to people is work on that relationship. And I suppose, well, I was going to ask, you know, there's a there's a cultural difference, isn't there, there as well? So it sounds like that that was very quickly overcome uh, in terms of that teamwork. Yeah, it, it was. I, I think I think um, any anyone listening in the works in PR and law firms, and I'm sure it's the same in other areas of of marketing business development. You know. You meet a fellow PR person at a law firm, you tend to get on pretty well. We tend not to see each other as rivals, really. There's a lot more that unites us than divides us, and there's a lot a lot we can do to help each other do our jobs to the best best of our abilities, actually, by sharing knowledge, sharing experiences. So actually, as soon as we started talking to the, the guys the guys at BLM, um, you know, that, that, that attitude shone through, and actually they had the benefit of knowing them pretty well uh, in advance, so that, so that works really well but yeah work on that relationship and uh, like like in all business relationships you've got to kind of earn that trust uh, and you've got to be open and i think it it pays to to show that early and to work on that early so that yeah, there is no doubt that that we're doing all doing this for the right reasons very good advice did you have sort of you must have had key factors or goals um in terms of you know the comms campaign what is what did success look like and how did that how did that play out for you guys yeah, we, we needed to do a couple of things and some of them sort of uh, supported each other and some of them were standalone. We, we we wanted to take everyone with us on that, on the merger, so everyone, so everyone could see the benefits of it. We we appreciated it wasn't going to be easy for everyone and there was going to be a period of uncertainty and change. And we're still in that situation. We're a year, a year and a bit in and, you know, there's still change and, uh, and issues to work through, particularly around, you know, technology integration and moving off old systems and things like that. So we, we, we were really focused on that um, sort of in it together messaging and that's all staff, but also partnerships and the clients as well. We wanted to quite early on, we, we realized that actually we had a really good opportunity to 
relaunch and kind of reestablish our casualty insurance practice in the market uh, by virtue of the merger. So using the go live date, not as a chance to congratulate ourselves and talk about the benefits to both firms, but actually start to talk immediately about how the combined entity is benefiting our clients and and what our new offerings or or our strengthened offerings can do. So we worked hard to create marketing materials, uh, social media videos and, and other um, assets that would get that across and also look to the future. What 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 does the combined entity mean for the future and what clients can expect for us? So more investment in technology, a bigger data set um, and a chance to build build real scale in the market, which is what our clients are looking for. Um, I think the other bit was, is a realisation that because we were going to expend so much energy in the initial stages, we needed to make sure we knew what was coming next. And so we worked hard on, a, on an integration plan from day one. We didn't have every detail for a whole year, but we had mapped out what a year might look like. And again, it was good discipline to do that. So that when, when we uh, once we got over the line with the announcement, we didn't kind of think what next you know we needed to pause take a breath but but actually we then got into a really important period of communications for clients the market but also internally especially uh, around all the change and and that was um it, it was it was useful to be ready for that and we had the time to get ready for that that next stage because that's entirely different and and almost when it becomes you know there's a little anticlimax there so i think knowing broadly what you want to do in that next stage is is, is useful and we did have that in mind from day one it's interesting. Well, I suppose it has to be clients are at the heart of, of everything that you do. It must be interesting to have your existing client base, keep them, if you like, happy with, with the news. And then you've got this sort of newer client base coming in as well. I know it was a good fit, but as you say, the casualty insurance practice sort of swelled quite considerably. And I imagine that the clients were slightly different. How, how did you identify you know the sort of content that you needed to push out to them and the channels that were relevant and have you got have you got any sort of examples of how you did that it's a good it's a good question i think um i think the key to all of this was actually talking to clients all the way through the process and so they didn't you know they didn't foist it upon clients um they'd been talking to them about uh what they were looking for and what the potential benefits of a merger might be, um, and so I, th- I, th- I think actually our marketing was based on on that insight that our clients were looking in this space particularly for greater use of technology. Um, they wanted to work with fewer and bigger suppliers, which is reflected in in the uh, in the panels. The panels they're now settling on. Previously, some of our clients in the space might have you know eight to ten law firms on their panel. They're now going down to about three, and so this this merger was clearly a, a response to that. Um, and we wanted to respond to that desire for scale and a, and a one-stop shop. So our marketing was really focused on that. What does what does it mean? What does our scale mean for them? And then presenting our experts to that market. So we we did in really practical terms. Well, what what it meant was interviews. We did interviews with sort of the co-heads of each practice. So our, our fraud head, uh, Clyde and Co, and our fraud head at BLM together on screen as Clyde and Co talking about issues clients face and how we can help them. And we did that on day one. So I think that was a, you know, fairly simple, but but a really nice way to show that we're now together and we're now one firm and we're operating together and try to move away as quickly as possible from a sense that you've got legacy BLM people, legacy Clyde Co people operating in, in separate teams, bringing them together as quickly as possible. Clients then see the benefit of that. And then I think it's helpful for, for the people involved that we're not sitting in our old silos and it's coming together for, in a new entity. 
Good stuff. And you, met, you mentioned, you know, specifically the, the, the teams coming together and that and that idea of teamwork and engaging as early as possible, uh, finding the synergies between the teams. Was there was there another impact on the team after the after it happened after the launch? And did were there sort of new opportunities or any other challenges that that sort of cropped up that you saw? Yeah. So so in terms of in terms of sort of the comms marketing a business development team, I think there was a really good opportunity to learn from what the other firms were doing. So for learning from each other, and I think we we sought to take the best of um, the best of both, if you will. If that's not a cliche. Certainly, coming from the Clyde and Co side of the deal, there was a lot that BLM were doing really well marketing-wise. So they've got they had a really good public policy program going on around and commentary program, uh, and also around the abuse and neglect work um, that both firms do. But BLM had have a very high profile in that and created some really good content. I would then give Passel a plug. You know, I think we were able to bring Passel to the table, uh, and that's something that has taken off. Um, you didn't pay me to say this, by the way. It has taken off at the merged entity because uh, it's seen as a platform that helps people, uh, helps BLM comment comment in the way that they were commenting. So I think we were able to bring some platforms and some um, some uh, ways of working that that we've integrated. But but there are also some things, many things actually that that the legacy BLM business was doing really well that we've taken on. But I think actually what what it, as I was saying earlier, what it, what it allowed us to do is almost rethink how do we market ourselves in this space. Um, as a combined entity and that was that was important too that we didn't just think let's keep doing what we're doing but but more in terms of opportunity i think it's been a really good opportunity just to welcome a lot of new colleagues in in our marketing comms team in in one go and actually have that that scale and that heft it's been really useful and it's probably given us a chance to to rethink how we how we structure a team to market and and do business development for this very large uh, portion of our, our business most of which is is based in based out of Manchester, the biggest part of which is based out of Manchester. So we've now got a uh, a fully stocked team in Manchester working closely with that business, which is great. The beer's on its way, Will, um, for that plug. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, or, you... or another, um, or another uh, octopus orange. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, another octopus on the way in the post. You've given loads of valuable advice already, but the final question I was going to ask, you know, you've already said, get yourself in the room but I was going to ask you about you know if you if you were pressed on it what would your one piece of advice be for any sort of marketing and comms leaders um that are that have win that they, they might have a have to navigate a merger down the road yeah I, th- I think um I mean I've already talked about the relationship a bit so that that wouldn't you know that's that's key but if this is one piece of advice I think actually really having that discipline to nail down a narrative and a sort of campaign slogan and that sounds a bit trite actually but it did really help us to create that overarching narrative that helped us define what you know why it helps us explain why we were doing this and that actually worked across the market so so we had quite a tight uh, messaging structure really that we were able to use throughout the comms and it's not to say we just rolled it out you know verbatim every time we were asked something but actually it gave us gave everybody a really good structure and what you realize is so many people are going to have to communicate this message that you need to give them a tool so i think it's very easy just to get on and do the communications and we, we keep rolling and it's in everyone's heads and you know there's so much to do you just you just keep plowing away but actually to step back and to give a presentation on what it is we're trying to achieve and how we're going to talk about it that is very good discipline and we did come up with a you know a slogan which has helped to sort of unify everything it, it's not it's not super original it's stronger as one but it did help them um, i think keep people focused and keep people on message so that would be that would be my piece of advice great stuff and yeah as you say i mean 
I suppose you've got the whole firm that has to has to use that rhetoric. So you've got you've got the fee earners as well when they're speaking to clients if they can remember the same. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely yeah. right. You know, uh, yeah, lots of our uh, lots of our clients have been spoken to throughout the process, but there were others to which this was new, and and that's ab- absolutely you know, you're relying on eighty odd partners going out and talking to clients. So we've got to give them some help and guidance in that, and um, and it's it's well worth that investment of time to get that right as early as possible. I wanted to you know ask you a few questions in terms of outside of the law space. Um, so what what's your favourite book at the moment, business and non business? Yeah, good question. Um, don't know if anyone has one at the top, top of their minds, but I think if it, if I'm thinking business book, actually, I read The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People really early on in my career. And it sounds uh, it sounds like it's all about, you know, wealth and riches and becoming a, a millionaire. And, and it's really not actually I found it a really useful guide and, and some really useful principles in which to help manage time and help manage uh, manage your career. So so that's my that's my favorite business book. And that's a bit of a classic. So it's a Stephen Covey book and um, it has something of a following. So I'd recommend that highly to anybody non-business actually I, I don't read a lot of fiction so i'm not great on 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 fiction but i'd say um uh sapiens the book by yuval noah hariri uh was one of those books i read and it's, it's sort of left an imprint on me it's a really interesting history of human uh humankind and our and our development that's that's a brilliant book so i'd recommend that to anyone thank you very much i haven't read either of those so i always make a note what was your first job First job, yeah. I mean, I did, I did various bits and pieces like most people do, working in um, restaurants and waitering and things like that. But I think my fir- my first proper job outside of uni actually was was a really odd one and and was great fun. So a friend of mine is an entrepreneur, classic entrepreneur, and he he rented out DVD players on the Great Western train line out of Paddington to Devon and Cornwall, and he got a a, a deal with the operator to trial this out and thinking back this was early the early 2000s and people didn't have devices they could watch films on now it seems bizarre but we uh, i was one of his salesmen so he got he, he wrote me in to help him uh walk down the train as it left paddington and try and sell out set rent out these little mini dvd players uh along with a, a range of dvds so we'd walk along with our packs and a huge bag and, and get people up and running it, it kind of worked it's kind of popular but i don't think it made any money and then quite quickly the price of these DVD players plummeted and people started to have their own ones. And then things like, I think the iPad arrived a couple of years later. So it wasn't ultimately his uh, his route to millions, um, but he went on to do bigger and better things. And we had we had a lot of fun and it was great just sort of getting stuck in and doing something hands-on and talking to lots of people and helping him, helping him start that business. So that was my first job, actually. Um, and bears no relation to my current job, but it was great fun. I would have been a prime customer on that, honestly. <laughs> Combined with Love Film at the time, do you remember when you could get those DVDs that you used to used to subscribe to? That's they, right. It was that them. sort of period when yeah we were getting used to being able to watch. Starting to think about you know we could watch more than we were used to, but whilst it was still physical DVDs, it's somewhat restricted. But um, but it is amazing actually thinking back. You know, it's twenty years ago now, but thinking how quickly things have changed. Yeah, um, and how we now have at our fingertips everything we want to watch, but. But uh, <laughs> that's 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 I'm not an entrepreneur, um, but that that's what entrepreneurs do, right? They spot things, yeah, they give it a go, and if it doesn't work, they go and do something else. And I I, I think he's working in um, a flexible office space at the moment, so that's uh, I think slightly more lucrative for him. That'll be working pretty well. Um, probably not linked to that, but what what makes you happy at work? Yeah, um, I think I'm I'm happiest when when I'm chatting 
either to my team or to others and chatting through issues, seeking solutions. I really missed that when we weren't in the office and I do like the office and the office environment. And PR, certainly PR, which is sort of my, um, you know, my, the bedrock of my of my career, PR requires you to talk through issues, talk about current affairs, come up with ideas. And so there's that, that element of creativity that, that really makes me happy coming up with solutions to things and being able to chew the fat. And, and often what we do in PR could be quite, could be quite fun or, or at least funny. Um, uh, and, and, you know, not all the time, but we do get to deal with some things that do make you kind of think, oh my goodness. And, uh, uh, that, that is fun for me. Uh, and it's the people which, which is, which is, uh, which is good and does require, require us to be in the office more often than not. Good stuff. And then what are you listening to at the moment? Or are you, you still using an old DVD player? From, from years ago Paul, yeah Paul. no no all got all the got all the subscriptions so uh, unfortunately i say unfortunately i i realized a year or so ago that i wasn't going to be able to listen to my own music anymore in the car because my son was getting into listening to his favorite nursery rhymes um he's four so whenever i turn on music it's replaced by um uh, pepper pig uh bluey various soundtracks uh, paw patrol um music and story so so that's that's kind of killed killed the music side of things but in terms of podcasts actually I'm, there's a few i listen to and, and i love listening to current affairs podcasts and sports mostly football related podcasts to kind of relax and indulge in my in my passions um but a good one actually that's probably for personal and professional use is is the, called the good fellows and it is a hoover institution podcast um and they talk at a fairly uh a fairly intellectual level, but not too intellectual level about geopolitics, uh, economics, culture, and look ahead at what what's happening, what's likely to happen and change. And it's very informed. Um, I, I really like that. And again, it, it does help me with work. So so it's a useful one. So that's the good fellows. And it is good fellows, not good fellas. And that's on purpose. Sounds like it covers similar topics to Peppa Pig and Paw Patrol. But yeah, that's right. It's yeah, it's a good mix. Recommendation. It's a heady, it's a heady mix. <laughs> um, Talking about travel now, where is your favourite place to visit and why with the summer holidays coming up? Maybe that in mind. Yeah, I, I love, I love going abroad, but actually I think, I think my favourite place is, um, the south coast of Devon, where I spent a lot of time and spent a lot of time as a kid, uh, on family holidays and have since, since taken my family. I think actually when the weather's good, there's sort of almost, there's probably no better place to be because it can be hot, sunny, there's lovely beaches, the water's lovely. Um, and when, when the weather's not good, which is which is often, it's it's still very beautiful. There's lots to do, and it's kind of bracing and energising. So, I think if I couldn't go anywhere else in the world, and as long as I could go to South Devon, I'd be happy. I'd miss going abroad, but I think that is, I have to say, that is my favourite place in the world. Fascinating stuff, uh, Will. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, and, and worth the wait. It's been yeah, really, really insightful. So, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Pleasure to do it. Thank you. <laughs>